Welcome to the Autism Hour podcast, where we view each and every individual as valuable and capable. I'm your host, Chelsea Anderson, and today I talk to Beth Newman. Beth has been in the field of education for 11 years now and has a passion for teaching students vocational skills and assisting them with life beyond high school. She has taught instructed learning for eight years at Coppell Middle School North in Coppell ISD. She received the honor of campus teacher of the year during the 2015-2016 school year, which is such an honor and such a um, prestigious award for Beth to receive. So I'm so proud of her and so honored to have her on the podcast. She was also a paraprofessional for a year in the practical academics program in Coppell. She started her career in education teaching second and third graders in general education. She is also a wife to her husband, Brian, and has been for three and a half wonderful years. Please welcome Beth to the Autism Hour podcast. Hi, Beth, and welcome to the Autism Hour podcast. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. So we're going to go ahead and get started with our questions. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and your family? Um, so I grew up in Pennsylvania, okay. in Erie, Pennsylvania, right on the, the chimney, we call it. Okay. Um, and my mom was a teacher when before she had my sister. So okay. my sister's older. So I kind of come from a family, a family of educators like my mom. Um, and she worked at a school... Once I went, once I was in first grade and she went back to work, um, she stayed home with my sister and I. So I always okay. kind of grew up in a school. Okay. Um, and so I just, I was exposed to that environment a lot and, yeah. you know, loved it and wanted to be a teacher when I was a kid and yeah, spent a lot of time. So it's, education has always been really important in my family. Like my grandparents used to reward us for good grades. Mm-hmm. And so it was always just, it was always really important. Mm-hmm. And so I think growing up with that really instilled the value of education and made me want yeah. to be be a teacher. And okay, so, and so that's something you wanted to do from a young age. Yeah, yeah I mean, I always, so cool. I always played played school yeah. with my friends, and <laughs> so it was just kind of when it was time to decide what to do, yeah. I was kind of like, oh. And then um, I met my husband in college, Okay. so we dated, we went to Duquesne, Pittsburgh, okay. and we dated for 10 years. Oh, wow. And partway through, I moved down here. Okay. And then... Um, so yeah, after a decade, we got married in wow. 2004, and it's, that's so it's us and our two cats right now. Okay, so, that's you know, awesome. And I have an older sister, um, and my dad and mom are divorced, and okay. so, you know, it's it's kind of yeah. like a hodgepodge of family, but yeah. everybody's spread out, but it's it's great. I yeah. get lots of, lots of support with my job. That's awesome. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Did you study education in your undergrad then? I did. Okay. I studied um, elementary education. Okay at Duquesne and we had, you know, some some exposure to special education through our coursework, mm-hmm. but I didn't um, major in special education. Okay. I always thought I wanted to be an elementary teacher. Okay, and which I, you started as, correct? Right. Uh-huh. I started, um, after I graduated, I moved to Baltimore for two years okay. and I taught second grade for a year and third grade for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, a, it was an inner city school district. It was okay. really challenging. Yeah. Um, I learned a ton. What were some know. of those challenges that you encountered there? Um, there was lots of behavior. Okay. You know, yeah. I mean, a lot of the kids had had kind of tough home lives mm-hmm. and so didn't always necessarily come to school with school being their first priority, which mm-hmm. is totally understandable. Yeah. So we dealt with a lot of discipline issues and I had actually gone to private school all my life. Okay. So it was like a total 180 yeah, from what... From my school experience to what I was teaching. And I did a lot of inner city experiences through um, my student teaching mm-hmm. and field experiences in college. Okay. But like Baltimore was, you know, it was a really interesting, interesting thing mm-hmm. and interesting setting to kind of go into. So yeah. it was really good. Um, 
when I finished my my contract, um, my husband was right about to finish law school. Okay. He had one more trimester, I think. Okay. And so I moved down here, and that's actually how I fell into special ed. Okay. Was I um, I was looking for a job, and I couldn't find a full time teaching job, and I was subbing and doing tutoring, and you know, like yeah. little little jobs here and there, and I. Since I wasn't getting a teaching job, I started applying for para positions. Okay. And I got called for an interview um, in Coppell. Okay. And I started in a classroom here in November. As a paraprofessional. As a paraprofessional. Okay. And it was called, um, it's what we used to call practical academics. Okay. And now it's transitional pathways okay. in the district. And so it was a lot of, it's kind of a blend of life skills and um some academic skills. Like okay. And what level was that? Was that middle, middle school? Middle school. Okay. It was, it was actually here. Oh, okay. At, That's at awesome. Oh, my goodness. So, um, and I That's had so a cool. great, great lead teacher that I worked under. Okay. Christy Cortez, who actually is at, at UNT now. Okay. She's at the Kristen yeah. Farmer Center. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I, I know, know her. Oh, yes. That's, That's so funny. Yeah. She's incredible. Yeah. Um, wow. I didn't so, know she came from Coppell. That's yeah. Like, what a small world. Yeah. So, she <laughs> did so that. Cool. Um, and I was her pair for a year. And okay. then the next year... Um, right at the beginning of the year, I was still a para. My husband was like, you need to go find a teaching job. And I was like, I just really feel like I need to stay here. Mm -hmm. There's something about this district and something about this school. And I love what I'm doing. And I just like, something is telling me, I know, I know you don't make as much and I'm qualified to be a teacher, but I just feel like I need to stay. And so within the first, I think it was the second week of school, we got a really challenging student in that program. Mm-hmm. And I actually got moved to content mastery okay. because we had some kids move up to high school and so they only needed one pair professional okay. in that class instead of two. So I was in content mastery the first week. And then the second week we had a student transfer in who just didn't really fit that program, mm-hmm. had a lot of behavioral issues. Okay. And I got pulled. We kind of started creating a new classroom for that student. Okay. Um, and I got pulled in to kind of help out with that as a para. And then they decided they needed a new teaching position. Okay. So um, Christy and I ended up splitting splitting wow. the transitional pathways classroom yeah. and the structured learning classroom when we would do half a day in each one oh, and then kind wow. of flip-flop with that. So it was it was really cool Man, how it kind of... your intuition was just working yeah, <laughs> to so keep was, you there. That's I mean, awesome. it was great. And sometimes I think you're just, you know, you you're fall really into something be, where yeah. you're supposed to be. Yeah. Sorry, our school oh, bells okay. are still It's okay. <laughs> And so, yeah, so it was, I mean, it was definitely a challenging year, but I learned a lot about behavior and, um, I mean, we started teaching the student sign language, mm-hmm. kind of came in with, with a PEX book and okay. every day would hand us like, I want Wendy's hamburger, two slices. And we're like, yeah, we can't give you that at school. Yeah. We're really sorry, <laughs> sorry, but here's all the things we can give you. Yeah. So we learned he really took to sign language. Okay. Um, and so we started teaching that. And so... It just kind of created this whole new program mm-hmm. um, Man, for our so school. Neat. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's kind of kind of how I fell into it. That's amazing. That's such a cool journey. Yeah. Can you, for the listeners, just talk a little bit about the PEX system that you just mentioned for those that don't know what that is? Yes. So PEX is Picture Exchange Communication System. Mm-hmm. And basically what it is is for students who have communication difficulties, they communicate in pictures. So we have a lot of students who are nonverbal mm-hmm. or maybe just need some some support, additional support, so they can be, their communication is intelligible mm-hmm. to people who can't understand what they're saying. Yep. And so they, it starts out very simple where, you know, they're just kind of giving you one picture mm-hmm. and then it can build up to they're putting sentences together yep. with these pictures and they're, um, you know, 
adding adding adjectives and adverbs yeah. and things like that. So it can get pretty complex. Mm -hmm. um, and there's also a lot of apps now that are similar. Yes. They might not be like true pecs the mm -hmm. way the way that system is. But they're but, a picture system. Yeah, but it's a picture mm -hmm. system and those those I think can be a little more manageable. Mm -hmm. um, we've had a lot of students who are really successful who need those picture supports. Yeah. You know, like Proloquo was a big one. Mm -hmm. and we use Sonaflex a lot and there's okay. a whole bunch of whole yeah. bunch of different ones, but they the upkeep and the maintenance with the apps of a student can be successful on that, I've found, is really easy because anytime, you know, with PECS, anytime a kid learns a new word, you have to you're making a something. picture and then yeah. going and getting it laminated yeah. and having Velcro. Well, I and mean, it's a physical object, so if they lose it or right. it gets destroyed somehow, then that's their communication out the window. Yeah, so that's I difficult. have a whole filing cabinet full of PECS pictures. Yeah. We would, like, copy probably yeah. like 15 at a time and laminate them and yeah. cut them out and anytime we lost back, one we yeah, yeah we we just replace it yeah so, that's awesome. um but yeah with with the apps it's really great because anytime a kid learns a new word there it's right there and mm -hmm. you can add it right away yeah and, absolutely. you know a new person you can put their picture in and so yeah. they're pretty that's great pretty and you can just take a picture of something in the environment right there yes. on the ipad and yes. just add it yeah it's really system. great with that's people because awesome. yeah. you know and they when they make a new friend or mm -hmm. they're seeing a new family member or something like that you can you can have that picture as yeah you know like having a picture of mom we mm -hmm. need we need to go home and write home and be like we need a picture of yeah. you can i take a send a picture yeah. of yourself so we can put it in there so yeah you know, that's really cool it's neat. Yes. So, yeah. Okay, so you've told us a little bit about your background. Tell us what you're doing now. So you work in Coppell. In Coppell. At um, Coppell Middle School North. Yes. Okay. And I am the structured learning teacher. Okay, and tell us about that classroom. What, is that, so what does that consist of? My class kind of, I feel like it morphs a little bit every okay. year based on my students and their needs. But the kind of key components are I have students who um, need a lot of communication support, whether it's basic communication or social skills mm -hmm. or, you know, just using language on, on a daily basis. But they need a lot of communication support. Sometimes my students have behavioral needs and sometimes they don't. Okay. Um, I mean, I've worked with significant behaviors in the past and currently we don't, we don't have a lot of those. Okay. Um, we do some academic supports where we're working on basic skills and we try to make them functional. Okay. So I think it's really important by the time we're in middle school, um, to look at any academic skills as how are you going to use these later in life. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, like math, we try to work on money a lot or basic counting and, yeah. you know, just things that kids are actually going to use, you mm -hmm. know, reading, mm -hmm. looking at a, a food or package or, you know, reading ingredients and following steps and yeah. things that they, they really need and that are functional that mm -hmm. they can use in their daily lives. And how do you pick which functional skills to focus on? Do you incorporate like the family in that conversation or how do you go about making the decisions that they need to focus on this functional skill over this one? I send home a huge like inventory to okay. my parents and a big survey and I think it's so important to get their input Yeah. and then look at those needs. We mm -hmm. also use the ABLES here okay. yeah. and so I kind of try to look at those and sometimes I find, you know, I used to work straight up that grid. I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, you're missing this one. You have to, you have to master this skill. Sometimes I'll look at that and be like, eh, is this going to help you later in yeah. life? Maybe we'll skip this one. Is that practical? Um, so I kind of I kind of pull from all those places, but I think it's really important to get that parent input mm -hmm. and really see, like, what do you see your kid doing in the future and yeah. how can we help help your child get, get there? Mm -hmm. And, you know, getting that input is so important. So Absolutely. I really rely on those surveys. Good. And I, I actually don't even write my goals usually until I get that back. And okay. I try to... Um, Kind of my process before an art is I'll send that survey home, 
I kind of do my testing in the classroom and then I look at both of those areas and kind of try to take that parent input and that testing, those testing results, and then I kind of create my IEP goals for the year for that mm -hmm. learner. Mm -hmm. And then I try to meet with parents, whether it's over the phone or through email or in person, it's always best if you mm -hmm. can manage it. Yeah. And just talk about, okay, like here's, here's what we're kind of looking at this year. Is there anything missing? Is there anything you think is not, you know, just not good or you don't think is super important mm -hmm. or do we want to tweak anything and change it? Because, I mean, I'm with my kids for three years, maybe four years sometimes, but parents have them forever yeah and so their input is so valuable mm -hmm. and so important yeah and if you work as a team you're just you're better together absolutely so yeah um, okay so what are some of the strategies you use to teach those functional skills um trying to teach them first just the basics mm -hmm. you know um sometimes there's a prerequisite like if we're doing a money skill or something like that sometimes We'll work on identifying the coins and then mm -hmm. working through counting and if you need a calculator or whatever. And mm -hmm. then really work on, we have a bunch of vocational tasks that are putting orders together. Mm -hmm. So then I might apply that to, okay, you now know how to add coins, add up this money and then count it for me. So mm -hmm. it's more, instead of just adding random amounts of money, you're actually doing a task that you might see in real mm -hmm. life with it. You know, yeah. you're adding up your grocery bill and mm -hmm. here's the money you would have to count up to pay for it. Or, yeah. you know, you're assembling an order for another person. Here's the change you would have to mm -hmm. give for it. So really, really focusing on what, what are those skills, those mm -hmm. basic skills, and then making it a task that a student would encounter later in life. We do a lot of laundry. Okay. Um, we have kids who work in the cafeteria, like stocking chips and putting oh, wow. orders together. Really so some cool. of it starts, you know, those basic skills can start mm -hmm. with matching. Like, can yeah. you, can you in isolation in our kind of quiet environment, can you, you know, match different chip packets or mm -hmm. something like that to a specific spot or put things in a certain order? Yeah. And then when I take you out into the cafeteria, can you put those those can things where they need to be? Skills. Can you, yeah. you know, stock the silverware? Can mm -hmm. you sort mail? So we have. In my classroom, I have a small mail sorting task that's only, you know, I think it's like 10 little file folder things mm -hmm. that they sort. And then in our office, we sort the teacher's mail. Okay. And then, you know, that we have like 70 teachers here. Mm -hmm. So that's a much bigger task, but it's kind of, you work on that in a small setting in a controlled environment and then kind of branch out into larger tasks. So what does that actually look like when you have them sorting the teacher's mail? Does one student do that, you know, one day and a different student does that the next day? Or do you all go as a class and do that? What, Usually, um... I like to go in smaller groups okay. with the functional skills, so maybe one or two students at a time. Okay. Um, our mail is a little bit, like Monday we get a lot, and then okay. Tuesday, Wednesday we don't. So yeah. I might take a student who has a higher tolerance for the length of work on Monday and then switch it out with another student. Okay. Um, you know, and some of it is, for some students, we highlight the names on the envelope so they can, they know where Easily to look and it. other mm -hmm. students, because it's, you know, when when it's the task in the classroom that I've typed up, the, the name is always in the mm -hmm. same place. But in the real world, when you're looking yeah. at actual mail, it's all over the place, yeah, the address, definitely. and there's way more extra information. And so we kind of tailor to each student. Okay. But I, I try to take in the natural environment out in smaller groups. Okay. And then um, if a student's successful, you know, we kind of we kind of branch out to make it more complex. Yeah, that's awesome. That's yeah. such a good idea. Okay, so you teach a structured learning classroom. Mm -hmm. What is structured about it? Like, how do you structure the classroom? Everything. <laughs> yeah, um, tell us about it. So their entire day is structured. We have, you know, kind of our 
our routine every day, and mm-hmm. there's certain components of the day that are the same. Like every day we come in, we unpack our stuff. Um, you know, one student does a reading activity on the computer. One student knows he works with me first. One student does independent work. So my students always, they kind of go back and forth between independent activities or working with, um, we have peer teaching and t- assistants oh, okay. that are other students who come in and work with our kids. Wow, that's awesome. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, or they're working with my para, or they're working with me. Um, and so, you know, I've trained my para on um, table teach okay. and direct teach that we do. Mm-hmm. And so our morning routine is kind of getting through their more structured targets. Okay. So a lot of my students will have goals that have very specific targets mm-hmm. that we're working on, learning those targets and acquisition. And then later, once they've mastered those, we'll kind of work on maintenance mm-hmm. and generalization in, in the real world. Okay. Um, Okay, so so let's break that down just for people who don't know. So acquisition is acquiring the new skill, so Mm -hmm. being taught a new skill. And then maintenance is maintaining the skill over time, correct? Right. And then uh, generalization is generalizing across people or across settings, so being able to utilize that skill in a different environment or with a different individual. Or even with different objects. So like sometimes, you know, when students learn this is a ball, Mm -hmm. they know like this specific ball, but then you want to branch out into Like a green ball is a green ball and a red ball is a red ball. So yeah, yeah, they're all balls. Okay. Generalization is so hard for some of it my is. learners. I oh, mean, absolutely. it's really, really tricky. So mm-hmm. that is always kind of the end goal to yeah. really get to that piece and take those skills we've learned in almost isolation mm-hmm. and like in that really structured environment and then make it more applicable throughout the day mm-hmm. and in real life. And that, yeah, and that's kind yeah. of the end goal, right, is to be mm-hmm. able to generalize these skills outside of the education environment so they can use it in their natural environment mm-hmm. after they leave high school. So yeah. um, that's a highly socially valid piece, I would think, you know, for any classroom that's teaching individuals with autism is focusing on that generalization. So. Yeah. Okay, so you have a schedule for them. Mm-hmm. Um, are they on visual schedules or they just know their schedule? Some of my students, we try to fade out visual schedules okay. when we can. Yeah. So a lot of students start the beginning of the year with the visual schedule. For work tasks, I'll give them, you know, like a little task strip of mm-hmm. here's your first one, here's your second one. And I have it broken down. Like some students read what their task is. Some okay. students have numbers or letters. Okay. Some students have pictures and shapes. And mm-hmm. so it just depends on the student. Mm-hmm. Um and I, you know, I change that up all the time. And so they are kind of responsible if they're doing an independent work task. They kind of look at their schedule. They'll go and get get the task, bring it to where they need to, and then put it away. Okay. And we'll check it when they're done. Okay. Um, when they're working at the table, like I have one student who knows he'll he'll yell out exactly what he's doing next. It's really yeah. funny because he's, he's learned his schedule so well. And then sometimes, yeah. you know, we have to work on breaking that schedule a little mm-hmm. bit. So yeah. we want it to be structured, but not so much that a student has a gets, hard time if something right, else happens. Gets yeah. set in that schedule. So mm-hmm. I'm really I'm really big on once we've established that routine, then kind of trying to interrupt it, yeah, interrupt yeah. it and break it like in a very controlled way. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, I'm not trying to set my students off. But real life also happens. Yeah. And school can be as structured or as unstructured as I make it. And mm-hmm. our, our administration is really great with that, mm-hmm. at trying to like work work with our schedule and give us advance notice of things that might disrupt yeah. that schedule. But also, you know, things, things happen, happen mm-hmm. and kids need to be prepared for that. So Absolutely. I'm not, like, I think that structure is really good, but I also think at a certain point we need to work on, you know, changing it up, interrupting it, like you said. Yeah. And just making sure students are prepared for real life, mm-hmm. if they can handle that. Like yeah. some, some kids, if it's going to be an absolute meltdown, like we're not there yet yeah. because we're not going to set you off mm-hmm. with that kind of behavior. But, you know, we're always working towards 
making it more more like the real world Mm -hmm. so absolutely so you've talked a lot about functional skills what are some other functional skills that you're working on and how do you teach those skills so some Um, some other skills that your students are working on so one of the other things we're working on especially this year is social skills okay um we have our peer teaching assistants and this Mm -hmm. is the first year that we've had that as an elective which is really cool that's so cool so the other students are signing up for an elective which is Mm -hmm. coming in here and helping your students yes okay so we have um right now we have a group of eighth graders and i think we have 11 total between my class and the transitional pathways class so we have about one per period and then we have one student who goes out and helps out during pe okay um and so they come in and you know help students whether with they're working independently or on tasks but one of the things that's been really great is having an appropriate social model mm-hmm. so so many of our students with autism and other disabilities have those social deficits yes and so when you're trying to teach it by yourself or with a para you're kind of doing the teaching and the modeling mm-hmm. and you know yeah. like it's really it gets really choppy with the with the model mm-hmm. so when you have a peer or someone else to use a third person you can kind of help prompt your student and assist your student how they need it and then you have someone else to kind of Be that model, model hey mm-hmm. I'm gonna ask you a question but I'm just gonna wait for your answer and the teacher might, or I might prompt like, yeah. oh, here's what you do in this situation. Okay. So we work That's a lot so cool. on social skills with yeah. that. We work a lot on playing games and okay. leisure skills. Mm-hmm. You know, some of my students don't have, if it's not a preferred activity, yeah, then no they're, interest. <laughs> right, they're not super excited about it. But I, yeah. you know, we try to incorporate games and turn taking and asking simple questions and responding to questions throughout the day. And mm-hmm. even if it's not something that you're in love with, other people care about this, and that's yeah. how you have a relationship with mm-hmm. people. And so sometimes, yeah, you do have to say hi back to someone, or you do have to yeah. ask them how they are, and you do have to answer people when they ask questions. So mm-hmm. I'm pretty, I try to push my kids a lot yeah, socially and, you know, working on those, those play and leisure skills that they're mm-hmm. going to encounter, because I think those are really good for later in life. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Okay, you've also mentioned some behaviors um, mm-hmm. that you've experienced in the past. You said you don't have any students who have you know, significant, severe behaviors right now. Um, but how have you handled behavioral challenges that you've experienced in the past? What methods and strategies do you use for those? Um, so we had applied behavior analysis okay. training mm-hmm. in the district. We, they still have it, but I just went through it okay. when I was first um, hired as a teacher. Uh-huh. So every year they have a group of teachers who are new, who are in our special program settings, which are most of our self-contained classes where you might see behaviors. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, a lot of looking at what is happening before, what's the antecedent, Mm -hmm. and what is causing the behavior, and then how do you respond to Mm -hmm. it? So, So you know, yeah, Mm -hmm. so if the student is trying to escape a task, you're kind of having them follow through with that task Mm -hmm. and not letting them get out of it. If a student's doing something for attention, you kind of want to ignore it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if a student is doing self-stimulatory behavior, if it's if it's interrupting their educational routine and they can't get through work tasks, try to find a replacement behavior mm-hmm. and things yep. like that. So, um, you know, we kind of look at what happens before. We take what's called ABC data mm-hmm. before we do it, and then we yeah. have a behavior specialist who can kind of come in. Okay. And um, they'll write the FBAs and yes. the BIPs for us, which yes. are functional behavior behavior assessment yeah and behavior intervention plan and so um so they'll kind of come in and help us with strategies and then um and you get better with it over time Mm -hmm. like a lot of times 
in the beginning, you might be like, I don't know what's causing this behavior, but yeah. after you've you've had the training and you've mm-hmm. seen it a lot, you can kind of implement those things yeah. off the cuff and, and to kind of, your main goal is to extinguish the behavior and make it so it doesn't happen, but at least decrease it. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we graph our behaviors to see the trends and yeah. look at that and just kind of treat it as it comes and, Absolutely. you know. So. Did you have any students that started with you with behavioral challenges that you've been able to extinguish over time and that have shown a lot of progress in that area? We've definitely seen big decreases. Okay. Um, and I've had students come in, like a lot of times a transition time mm-hmm. is when you'll see more behaviors. Absolutely, um, yeah. So a lot of times I'll have a sixth grader who might come in with behaviors during the transition and we'll just, you know, kind of work through it and Mm -hmm. use those strategies we've been taught and then see a huge decrease or an extinction. So, you know, a lot of times if it's significant behavior, I think we, we tend to see it decrease, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily go away. Mm -hmm. Like I've had, I've had students who had behavior and have continued to have behavior, but it's decreased. Um, And then I have students now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you have to look at that progress mm-hmm. so that's Absolutely. why that's why graphing it's really nerdy yeah but, but it's, it's great also, and yeah. it's great to show the parents that those yeah. graphs and how they they're changing over time to yeah. show that what you're doing is making a difference even if it's not completely extinguished yeah yeah so um so do your students leave the classroom at all to go on any kind of field trips to generalize some of those functional skills that you focus on in the classroom um my kids go out to electives okay so a lot of them they have two electives a day where okay. they leave and go to the gen ed classes and they're with um, typical peers and you know participate as much as they can some of the activities are modified if they need mm-hmm. it some participate on their own um, and then we go on the grade level field trips okay and then I just found out in our district there's apparently a van that I never knew we had oh. and I'm like I want to go shopping yeah and I want to go here That's and I so want to cool. go to a restaurant and order food so yeah. I have all these ideas floating around for the future and yeah. I just need to sit down and look at the logistics and see especially functionally like what are the skills we're working mm-hmm. on and how can we apply them? Yeah, um, absolutely. I know our high school has students going out and working in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, their transitional pathways program, they're trying to get students out in the community and really working in those environments that they might work in after high school. Okay. And looking at That's not great. just what happens in, in the classroom and in school, but we want to make sure our kids are prepared when they're adults and can be as independent as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I know some of our visually impaired students, um, which aren't really in my program, but some of them are going out in the community where they might live and learning to navigate the environment and going on different field trips. So once I found out there was a van, I'm like, my my gears are turning (laughs) and I'm trying to figure out like, how can I use this and where can we go and how can we get these skills in the real world? Yeah, I know when I was in Mesquite, we did life skills build trips and Mm -hmm. we would go, like I would take my students, which I taught three, four and five year olds, but we would start them early and take them to like Target and practice shopping and matching, you know, a picture to the item from a grocery list or we would take them to a restaurant, even if that was just like the popcorn like little snack area inside yeah. of Target we would take them there and teach them how to order and sit yeah. down together and wait till everyone was finished so it was so helpful to just mm-hmm. see them be, be able to utilize a skill that I taught them in the classroom in the environment that they actually need it so yeah, yeah if you could take advantage of that ban yeah <laughs> I'm all for it yeah. so yeah I that's need more information but I'm like super excited that it's even a possibility yeah so. absolutely so what are some of the goals that you see and that parents have discussed with you for your students like what are some of the the end goals for them after um, middle school and even after high school 
Um, so things like we ha we have two different kinds. Like we have a transition supplement where we have to put goals down for. I think it's education, employment, and independent living mm -hmm. are the three big areas. Yeah. Um, and so we're kind of looking at what what might after high school look for a student. Um, and one of the best one of the best plans I heard or like ways to talk about that is we want to kind of take those big goals and make them our focus and then use our IEP goals that we do annually and look at how can we kind of build those up to mm -hmm. get to that big goal at yeah. the very end. So the skills that we're working on in the classroom and each year are going to be smaller little pieces of that, but then those goals at the end are a big goal where we're trying to build up to that. Yeah, um, I think so, that's a great approach. you know, one of the big goals we might have is establishing a routine where a student would independently get ready for like work or their day and mm -hmm. pack a lunch and then you know know what time they need to get up and mm -hmm. kind of incorporating a whole bunch of things into their schedule that they could do independently yeah and look at you know that could be whether they live at home or whether they live um in a group home or mm -hmm. in an assisted living facility or anything like that yeah um so we work a lot on meal prep and, okay. you know, time goals and mm -hmm. just looking at, at those routines and kind of chunking those little skills that are going to build up to that big goal. Yeah. Um, for vocational skills, we work a lot with, like, time on task. Okay. Um, and just building up to students who might not have have a very long time that they stay on task is how can we build that so maybe after high school you can have a job where you're mm -hmm. going to work for a significant amount of time because yeah. you know in in the work community you might not work for three minutes yeah. and then get a two minute break <laughs> yeah. and then work or for three minutes for right. every five minutes so that you do yeah nobody's going to be standing mm -hmm. there with skittles so kind of fading out some of yeah. those supports and increasing that time on task and mm -hmm. you know looking at specific skills like if a student is going to um do laundry as as we think that's something that might be interested in later, like working mm -hmm. in a hotel and working in the laundry room. Um, you know, seeing what are the skills, like can you do laundry in this type of washing machine? Can you do it in the PE laundry? Do you know how to sort clothes? Do you know how to yeah. fold clothes? Do yeah. you know how to measure soap? So kind of looking at those little pieces mm -hmm. that all add up. And, you know, I've heard, I've heard parents and even other teachers say like, these skills are so hard to teach them. And I'm like, yeah, look at the task analysis. Like yeah. if you look at just a basic task that we do every day and it's you break it down steps. into all the pieces. Like I, I looked at tying shoes uh -huh. and I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah, it's this amazing. This is so hard. Yeah. There's so many different pieces. So mm -hmm. when you look at all the components of, of those little skills that we kind of take for granted mm -hmm. and do every day, they're no wonder it takes a year or two yeah. sometimes to master those things and build up. So we're always kind of looking at what are those little pieces we need year to year, day to day, to build up to that big picture at the end of at the end of school? Yeah, definitely. And I have two follow up questions for you, and I'm just going to put them out there, and you can okay. answer them. Um, but the first is, how do you decide which, like, what a student's interest might be post high school? So how do you know, like, what they might be interested in, and what direction to kind of guide them to? And then the second is just how do you fade those prompts to make them more independent? How do you fade their need for you to in order to increase that independence? Um, so how I how I gauge their interests mm -hmm. is I use an assessment called the Reading for You Vocational Interest Inventory. Okay. And it's um, it's a picture assessment. Okay. And I think there's a whole bunch of different ones, and this is just the one 
I found that works in my classroom, but it'll show three different pictures of an activity and I'll read each, what each picture is to the student and then they'll pick the one they like. So they'll point to it or circle it or whatever. Okay. And I think there's like 50 different questions and so there's a significant amount. And then when you score it, it'll give, it'll rank student interest in different areas. Okay. And then it clusters. So there's laundry, there's personal service, there's patient care, there's, okay. you know, food service. And That's so it's so all neat. these different things. The only thing I've seen that's missing is technology. Oh, so if, okay. if the reading wow, free vocational interest inventory people are looking, yeah. maybe, maybe update it to include yeah. some jobs in technology. That's interesting because that's such a hot topic right now. I so know. Think. It yeah. is. And I'm not sure when the assessment was created. Yeah. But it gives you a pretty good view and idea of some of those skills that you can work on. And okay. Like I think sometimes as a teacher it's overwhelming to be like, especially with kids who are nonverbal, mm -hmm. and those are like, some I kind of higher level like. things like, hey, do you want to work at a gas station? Yeah. Do you like cars? Do you want to work in in a restaurant? Like those, some of those concepts are so abstract. Yeah. And so to have pictures and kind of break it down is really helpful. Mm -hmm. um, I know we have access to the unique curriculum yeah, too, and so well. they have like a whole transition band with a whole mm -hmm. bunch of interest surveys. So there's there's a lot of stuff out there, but I think for kids on my level, those those picture inventories mm -hmm. are really helpful because they kind of give them a visual yeah, of definitely. what they like and what they don't like. That's so um, neat that that assessment is available. And yeah, That's yeah. Great. It's really cool, and yeah. I go through and I update it every year. Okay. Because sometimes, you know, a kid might pick pick laundry, yeah. and then after working on laundry for a year, they're like, like I don't really that. love this. <laughs> yeah. This is not my favorite. So I kind of try to update it based, based every good. year at the art and then you know, kind of look at, okay, so what are some other areas you're interested in? Mm -hmm. And then I also get parent feedback yeah. um, and kind of try to incorporate those things and things that I've seen and strengths I've seen in the classroom mm -hmm. and, you know, just meet them where they are and yeah. with what they're interested in. And then I don't always feel like I'm just pulling things out of thin air. Yeah, so I was gonna all say, that's a very good like pieces. systematic approach because I think a lot of times it is overwhelming to figure out like the student can't verbally communicate with me and tell me that they do or do not like this. So how am I supposed to figure out like what direction they want to head and what they could possibly do after high school? Yeah. It can be very overwhelming for a teacher but and also for the parent. So yeah. that's a really neat like systematic way to figure that out. And I've also found with surveys too, there's a whole bunch of different ones, but we used to have... I used somewhere in my head, like in my first couple years of teaching, mm -hmm. we had a transition survey that was in our education system. And I had mm. heard like parents have to fill out this survey. And it was like, what what do you think your student will study in college? And, blah, blah. and it was all these higher level things that, mm -hmm. you know, weren't necessarily appropriate for where my kids were, mm -hmm. things they might do after school. Yeah. And so I was always sending this home with like, and I'm so sorry, and just do the best you can with this yeah. survey. and. Now I've found other surveys that have things like, you know, are they going to do supported employment or mm -hmm. volunteer work or, yeah. you know, participate in a day hub. And having those other options on there, I think sometimes our parents just don't know either. Like, mm -hmm. what are the options yeah. after school? Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah, that's okay. And I didn't know right when I was a new teacher. Yeah. So I think sending that information out and really giving parents more options mm -hmm. and showing them what some of those options are is really helpful Absolutely. for getting better feedback from them because yeah. sometimes you know a lot of stuff is go out and research it on your own and yeah. we're, and we're trying to make it more user-friendly in our district and oh, yeah, I mean so but it's so though. much information mm -hmm. and you know 
And they have a kiddo at home that they're trying to take care of, and probably not just one. Oftentimes, you know, they have a whole family that they're supporting. So, yeah, that can be intimidating. Yeah, so I think the more information you can share with your parents and break down for them, the better it is. And, you know, then they kind of can understand their options more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And then how do you fade the prompts? So how do you increase that independence? Sometimes it's really hard. Yeah. I mean, I have... I have students who, I have one right now who yells, Newman, Newman, like all day. And so some of it is, um, you know, redirecting and then backing off. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's standing in a better position. Sometimes it's giving a visual cue. But, you know, you always want to go from from the most restrictive to the least restrictive. Mm -hmm. So I always try to start with, like, a verbal or a physical prompt and then fade out. And then sometimes it's just ignoring. Like, some, mm-hmm. sometimes if it's attention, I just, I yeah. know I have to say, I'll tell my student at the beginning, like, hey, I'm not going to talk to you until you finish this task, and then we're going to have a party. Mm-hmm. And so some of it is just knowing you have to get through this work, and then we can hang out. Yeah. But some of it is, you know, like, really looking at they need this physical prompt right now, and then I'm going to, you know, make it partial physical and just, yeah. you know, like, a gestural prompt and then a verbal prompt and so sometimes sometimes it's looking at are the prompts needed is it attention so just fading fading those out and it's hard yeah and for each kid it looks totally different oh yeah very individualized and how do you train your paraprofessional on lining up with you when you're planning to fade prompts um i i talk to her about it okay and my my goal is always you know be we want the kids to be as independent as possible. Mm-hmm. We are sitting here looking at them and they are doing their work and they don't need us. That's great. Yeah. Like that is, it seems really weird because you feel like you're not doing your job. <laughs> yeah. But I'm like, that is our end goal with our job is yes. to not be needed. Definitely. Um, so I always kind of talk about it. And if I am planning on fading a prompt, I think it's really important to say like, here's here's how we're approaching this situation. Yeah. And, you know, this kid, um, they were they were working on this with us and now like we're going to move away to this table and have them work work on their own or Mm -hmm. you know this kid can do this and our kids will try to trick us like Mm -hmm. I have so many kids who can tie their shoes that are going up to people and being like can you tie my shoes and I'm like no you can do that yourself and you know because it's hard Mm -hmm. and it's effortful yeah so just making sure people are aware of what they can do and what they need help with so because our kids our kids will try to take the path of least resistance mm-hmm. sometimes. And yeah. so just making making sure everyone's on the same page and aware of what those skills are yeah. and where those needs are. Yeah, and how do you make other teachers that they see aware of where they are and what you're working on in the classroom? So you said they go out to a couple of classes each day. So how do you make those teachers aware of everything going on with them? Most of our kids have pair support or okay. I go out to elective. So okay. we're kind of in the classroom to support as needed. Okay. Um, and so we, you know, we talk to the teachers. I try mm-hmm. to meet if it's um, students who are going out with my paraprofessional, I try to meet both with my para and with that teacher and just okay. kind of let them know like, here's what my goals are for this student. Like, mm-hmm. here's my priorities. Here's what I want them to do. What are your priorities? And so we can kind of get on the same page with skills. Yeah. And then check back with them. You know, like, what deficits are you seeing? What do you need mm-hmm. from us? And because it's really my job to modify and mm-hmm. make sure that the teachers know and, you know, my para knows exactly what to do and mm-hmm. how to help our students the best. Yeah. And so sometimes it's, you know, they're struggling with something and we can we can put in a schedule really quick. I had a mm-hmm. student who was struggling with the warm-ups in PE. Okay. And I talked to the teacher and my parent. I was like, well, let's just make him a checklist so he yeah. knows what he needs to do. And now, you know, he's participating in the warm-ups awesome. and he doesn't even need the checklist anymore. Yeah. But he just needed that little, that little push for a little mm-hmm. bit and then we could fade that right out. Yeah. But so awesome. just touching base with people periodically is really important. Mm-hmm. And it's hard because as a teacher, especially when you're, 
not in a class that's hard and you get busy, mm-hmm. but really trying to take that time and make sure everybody's in communication on and on the same page. And, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you do any like awareness initiatives on campus to raise awareness about autism? We don't really do any um, like big awareness, but our district is really special because we've had kind of from the high school down, we've had a lot of interaction. Okay. Um, and it's a very accepting community okay. of our kiddos with disabilities. So our high school has um, a partner's PE class, which is kids are partnered up with one one or two peers and um, they're working on skills that they need. Okay. They have a circle of friends club. They have peer teaching assistants. What is the circle of friends club? Um, it's an after school club okay. that gets students with disabilities and in, involved with other peers. Okay. And they'll That's go awesome. out and like, I think they go get pizza, they'll go to a movie, oh, they'll go to a football game. So it's yeah. really cool that, that that's awesome. something that was established when I got here. Yeah. And so um, we've kind of started, last year, we or two years ago, we started, we have this 30-minute block of time called e-time, mm-hmm. and it's kind of a period for students to get interventions or tutoring or, you know, club time, or they mm-hmm. used to do SSR, and we kind of looked at that time and thought, you know, our kids aren't really going to go to tutoring mm-hmm. or, um, you know, maybe they're not going to do this activity, but how can we make it an appropriate time that we can use for our kids? And mm-hmm. so we kind of started doing, um, we had peers coming up to our classes, and I combined with the Transitional Pathways class. Okay. And so we would combine our two classes, and we would have peers come up and play games with our kids or go on Fine. walks with them. That's or, awesome. You know, like, just talk to them. And yeah. so it became this really neat 30-minute period every day. And yeah. our students loved it, and the peers loved it, and we, we just had this huge group of kids. And so Aww. then we looked at at the end of last year, how can we change this? And some other schools had peer tutors who came into the classroom. Mm-hmm. And so we went to our counselors and our administration and said, can we make this a class? Like, mm-hmm. we have these great kids. We think we could grow this program, and other schools have done this. And so we kind of started it as an elective. That's so um, neat. And so now we have, it's about one peer per period, and they come mm-hmm. in, and it's just really cool. And so we've had a lot of kids and parents come up to us, and they're like, how does my kid get in this class? And what are the requirements? And so, so cool. Yeah, so yeah, we changed it to awesome. an application process, and I just... I was kind of worried because I can be a little bit of a control freak and my classroom's called Structured Learning. Yeah. Okay, we're adding this whole new element in. And, and other kids are I don't unpredictable. Know, yeah, like I don't know what that's going to look like. And yeah. I know these kids are great, but I don't know what that's going to look like during the day. And it's been incredible. Really? Um, and our kids are such a part of the community and just I'll walk down the hall with them and they're like, hey, so-and-so, hey, so-and-so. And I'm like, yeah. how do these kids even yeah, know my like, kids? I don't know these kids. Yeah. And so it's just such a welcoming environment. That's awesome. And, you know, I always have parents who are coming up from fifth grade and they're worried about bullying or mm-hmm. things like that and I'm like I've never I've never seen it I've never heard of it and any instance like our kids are really proactive about stuff so in our school and I think in in the greater community um, we just have a really good a good foundation of acceptance and love and caring and so it's cool so yeah, we, we haven't done a lot awesome. officially but that program I think has kind of brought that yeah. and also making sure my kids aren't aren't necessarily in my class all the time, you know, Mm -hmm. trying to make sure they're included in, in general education activities and in field trips and out around the school. And so Mm -hmm. people see them and they're more visible. Absolutely. Um, One of the other things we do with the transitional pathways 
is we have a baking company. Okay. So every Friday we combine our classes and we bake. Oh. And then we email out to teachers and we're like, cookies are 25 cents. Oh and my so goodness, that's so fun. Then our kids kind of help to pack it. They help to bake it. They help to package. And then they go around and deliver with peers during oh, each time. I love this. And so then they're working on money and wow. you know delivering. And I've heard yeah. of similar things at other schools. Like I think one at the elementary schools does like a coffee thing on Friday and they sell coffee. And that's so, so cool. It's just really cool to get the kids out and about. Yeah. Yeah. And know, know all the teach other yeah. teachers know them and know who they are. Yeah. That's so neat. And so that's a great idea. Was that your idea? Did you come up with that? Or? Um the other teacher and I we you know, we used to bake and, and kind of work together on it and so yeah. Yeah, wow. So we just Props to you guys. That's awesome. It, so. yeah. yeah. Okay, so um, you've talked about a lot of positives, which is great, but what is one of the biggest challenges you face as a special education teacher? Um, I think paperwork is always huge. Yes. Paperwork is such a big part of the job, and I always, I always laugh because it's like you don't have time during the day yeah. to get any of that paperwork nope. done. I don't know any special education <laughs> teacher who gets that done during their actual school hour. Yeah, like even conference, you run yeah. around trying to do other stuff and yeah. reply to emails. So paperwork work is always huge Mm -hmm. and you just kind of have to be really focused and set time ahead um you know I think getting each kid the one-on-one attention that they need yeah um and it varies you know I have students who are a little more independent now but when I've had kids who have had some major behavioral concerns you know if you have a kid engaged in behavior it's hard to spend time with your other kids Mm -hmm. but you just really need to I think it it goes to training your students and making sure you know, independent activities that they're working on are also really educational and appropriate mm-hmm. and can target some of those skills and training your paraprofessional and, you know, working on that and letting go of some of that control. I used yeah. to I used to like to be the only one who did direct teach mm-hmm. in my room. Yep. And I'm like, you know what, <laughs> I if, there I, too. <laughs> if I train people to do direct teach, then I can do it and other people can do it. Yeah. And so we can hit two kids instead of just one or three yep. kids and just one. And so... I think letting go of a little bit of control, mm-hmm. which is really hard, yes. can be good. And just making sure, you know, your staff is trained really well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, you know, it's challenging and it's hard. It's hard to let go of stuff. But then I think, too, um, coming up with procedures, like I found in my room, having doing a lot of work on the front end mm-hmm. will save a lot of time in the end. Like I yeah. spent one, one time I came up over the summer and I labeled all of my work tasks mm-hmm. and I made velcro labels that went each with each one and Mm -hmm. so then just giving a kid independent tasks was so much simpler than having to be like I want you to do this one over here and this one here yeah and I could just pull out like three letters and be like here's your work Mm -hmm. and then you know organizing everything to make sure while you're with your kids you can spend the most amount of time with them Mm -hmm. um so I mean yeah there's time is there's never enough time yeah. in in special ed. <laughs> yep. But I think just trying to find ways to work smarter mm-hmm. rather than harder is helpful. Yes. You know, make good systems for yourself. Absolutely. And that'll help. And then, you know, just treating stuff. I think I'm lucky that I'm not dealing with as much behavior mm-hmm. as I used to. But when that stuff happens, you know, it can it can take time out of the day, but it's yeah. still such an important thing to work through. Yeah, it's even more and not important. Yeah. Get frustrated from. Mm-hmm. And I also, you know, in regards to behavior to you, when that can be really frustrating, I think looking at it just as behavior and almost from like a clinical kind mm-hmm. of medical kind of standpoint makes it a lot less frustrating yeah. because you're you're kind of taking the personal feelings out of yeah. it. Yeah, so like, I think you really do have to take yourself out of those yeah. situations because like, it's not it's not personal. They're no. not doing it because they dislike you. They're doing it because they dislike whatever task you're giving them yeah. or whatever's happening in the environment. So. so I think I think some people do that. My 
my sister was talking about like her son having a tantrum and I was like you just have to be a robot and yeah. like look at what's happening and work mm-hmm. work through that behavior and then you know like just respond to what he's doing not to how it makes you feel yeah and it's exactly. hard like, it is I was, hard yeah. I was like I call it turning into robot teacher because mm-hmm. I like have to take that emotion out of it because yeah. you just can't get but that's what's most beneficial to them so yeah. I think when you keep that in the back of your mind it's helpful too yeah yeah so I'm looking around your classroom can you explain to our listeners how you have your classroom set up for the other teachers that might be listening so my classroom um it kind of has these little rooms within rooms mm-hmm. that are kind of open so they're almost like little little like closets without doors yes um and they're really nice they were just they were here when I got here they were built specifically for my classroom but I have those set up as independent workstations Mm -hmm. and so I have shelves of tasks um at different levels um so you know like some are puzzles and some are matching and some are vocational things where you're putting orders together assembling Mm -hmm. things and so all different kind of tasks that students can work on independently okay just to kind of build that independence and work on whatever those skills are that they yeah. need. Does um, each student have their own little, I'm going to call it a cubby, because that's kind of looks like a big human-sized cubby. <laughs> they vary, but I have the spaces labeled. Okay. So, and one of them fell down, actually, I'm looking now. Okay. But, you know, I'll tell them. I try to mix it up. I used to have I used to have specific spots for, for different kids, uh-huh. and when I've had kids on really different levels, I'll have, you know, like simpler tasks at station one and medium okay. tasks at station two and more difficult tasks at okay. station three. So it just kind of depends year to year. I switch tasks out. Okay. Um, but so those are kind of independent stations. And then mm-hmm. I have two big U-shaped tables mm-hmm. that um, is where we do most of our independent teaching or, okay. you know, like practicing, guided practice, things like that, where mm-hmm. students need to be working with me. Um, I have, like, all their materials out, like pencils and glue sticks and everything is labeled. So, you know, I want my students to go get things themselves mm-hmm. and Good. be independent. Yeah. So I think that's important. I have their stuff all labeled so you know every student has a hook for their backpack and a drawer for their iPad and a hook for their lunchbox so they know and you know we work on that at the beginning of the year you need you need to put your stuff in your spot and then you're not getting all your stuff mixed up Mm -hmm. Um, and then I organize all their materials near the teaching tables in like those little Rubbermaid three drawer bins Mm -hmm. and so I have a I have a top drawer that's for their probes that mm-hmm. we work on in the morning and a middle drawer that's for errors and has their direct teach cards and then my bottom drawer is maintenance yeah um and so that just kind of helps me structure it and you know anybody who kind of knows the procedure for those can come in and know like oh this person's goals have been probed today and here's our errors and I know I need to work on those or yeah. oh their their probes aren't done yet so I need to pull those from the top drawer mm-hmm. um I have a little reading library for my students I have a calendar where they can change days of the week and the seasons and mm-hmm. things like that. And do I have you some do computer any, stations. Yeah, I'm sorry for interrupting. Yeah, I was just going to ask, do you do any kind of um, group time with your students where you have them all together to teach them mm-hmm. something? Okay. Um, we do. The morning is more guided practice and individual attention. And then the afternoon we do a calendar activity Okay. in the afternoon. And then we do like a science or social studies activity okay. or science experiment or something like that. Okay. Um, and so, and that, you know, the goal for each kid is different. Like some of them it's targeting an academic skill that mm-hmm. they need through that lesson. And some of them it's just learning to sit in a group mm-hmm. um, or keeping your hands to yourself yeah. or staying on task for five minutes with a quiet mouth. Mm-hmm. So the goal for that group time is different for every learner. Okay. But, you know, calendar, I try to incorporate 
some math skills and some daily skills and Mm -hmm. weather and how do you dress when you go outside and Mm -hmm. so you know simple daily things and then we use the unique curriculum Mm -hmm. for those end of the day lessons. Can you talk a little bit about the unique curriculum for people who haven't been exposed to it? Mm -hmm. So unique um it has a whole bunch of different different parts of it. Um, it's a subscription service, and our district has a subscription mm-hmm. for our special programs classrooms. But they have a weekly newspaper mm-hmm. that is leveled. So it has, I think it's four different levels. Um, and then there's a whole set of, each week it changes. So there's there's a story uh, that's kind of like current events. Like one week it was the Olympics or, mm-hmm. you know, some sort of festival that might Mm -hmm. be going on. Like I think one was a hot air balloon festival. So the topic changes every week. Um, That weekly newspaper has an extension activity. And then there's a whole set of worksheets that go along with that. So there might be, like there's a science experiment every week, a craft every week, a Mm -hmm. recipe every week. Um, There's math skills and reading skills and writing skills. And so there's this whole big pack. And Mm -hmm. um, so I use, I kind of pick, pick things, but we consistently do the newspaper the science experiment and the extension activity. Okay. And then there's also a whole nother curriculum piece of it that is like monthly lessons. Mm-hmm. And so each each month will kind of kind of flip flops between science and social studies. Mm-hmm. So one month will be kind of more science focused, one month will be social studies focused. And there's a whole bunch of different stories on that topic. Mm-hmm. We just finished um, I think last month was like the American Revolution. Okay. And so it'll have it'll have stories on different levels for that and comprehension activities and then there's some transition activities or you know different different activities that go in there and there'll mm-hmm. be some functional skills um like one month was was talking about your body and they had a thing about the food groups mm-hmm. as as the activity. So it's neat um there's like vocabulary that goes with it so it's really nice that it's leveled Mm -hmm. um and I think that's a challenge of teaching special education yeah and kids on so many different levels Mm -hmm. is you're kind of trying to recreate the wheel sometimes and find materials and so the great thing about unique is there's so many different so many different levels and so many different resources you can kind of pull Mm -hmm. what's appropriate and yeah there's one story that literally will just have a big picture and then a word underneath Mm -hmm. it and then there's other ones that are you know, sentences. short paragraphs yeah. and sentences, and mm-hmm. some have picture supports. And so yep. it's really great that it, it's on so many different levels and Absolutely. you, you know, are pulling pulling stuff. And then there's a whole transition band within it too. Um, I think it's in middle school and high school level. Okay. And the levels are different. Like if you're in, I think there's an elementary and middle school mm-hmm. and a high school level. And elementary might actually even be split into like elementary and intermediate. Okay. I'm not positive about that because okay. I use the middle school mm-hmm. one. But um, it changes, you know, I think it's it's on a three-year cycle too. Okay. So like you won't, you won't necessarily repeat mm-hmm. that American Revolution unit while you have your learners in mm-hmm. middle school because there's three grade levels. So yeah. that's really nice. And then the transition band for middle school and high school, you know, it has a bunch of different there's independent living skills like here's a task analysis for tying your shoes or here's mm-hmm. a lesson on doing this skill and yeah so those resources are yeah. already there for you and I've That's used great. like I had a student who had a goal to um work on work on filling out personal information for, okay. for a job application mm-hmm. so we kind of pulled from that and worked on you know like just some basic information and there were a variety of different forms that he, awesome. he could work on to fill out yeah. a job application so he's not seeing all the same one but it's not quite as intimidating as 
you know, your typical job application that has mm-hmm. 50 pieces yeah. of information. <laughs> this one was scaled down to, like, five and then okay. ten. So yeah. it's just neat how it's all, it's all, all leveled. And, yeah. yeah, there's so much to it. I mean, I don't even feel like I know everything mm-hmm. that's a part of it because there's so much to it, but it's really... It's a good resource. Yeah, and I remember, I think that they had, like, various pictures that you could use for, like, visual schedules and things oh, like yeah. that, too. So There's a whole nother, it's, it's like symbol sticks. symbol sticks. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. another level. Yeah. And that will actually work. I think it's, there's a communication system that I had a student use. So if you see, if you ever have, have a kid on a communication mm-hmm. system and you see symbol sticks as an option, just call them. Because I didn't have, like, the username and password and everything, uh-huh. everything for our master account. But I called the company and I was like, I have a kid on this communication system and our district subscribes to this. And they just, they were like, yeah, you can definitely use this library to pull pictures That's from. That's so cool. So like, if you ever see it and think like, yeah. oh, I can't get to this because I'm not, just I'm not really the person writing the check to yeah. pay for this, call them because it's a, they're a really helpful company. That's awesome. <laughs> That's so neat. Okay. I have one more question for you before we finish up today. So what piece of advice would you give to a family of a child with a disability? It's actually two questions. And then what tip would you pass along? to another special education teacher so advice for a family and then a tip for a special education teacher so for families I would say um, just you know make sure you're you're getting on Medicaid waiver lists and you're thinking about the future and I know all of that stuff is so overwhelming mm-hmm. but you know use your school and your teacher and all the resources you can get um, don't ever turn down services like I've heard of parents who are like no I don't I don't want in home training and it's like if if you're being offered a service, just yeah. take it because it's, yeah. it's going to be helpful. And, you know, know that having a kid with a disability can be really overwhelming, but it's doable. Mm-hmm. And there's so many resources out there. And just ask for help and ask other parents and your teacher and, you know, work as a team. Yeah. And that kind of kind of goes into my advice for teachers. Is, okay. You know, use your families, too, as a resource and mm-hmm. work as a team with them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's really important that you have a whole group of people to work with. Like, I'm really lucky to be on a campus that has two different or three different actual special programs on mm-hmm. my campus. But if you're on a campus and you're the only special program, reach out to another teacher in the district yeah. and ask your parents for input and ask people for help. And, you know, the more the more you know, the better you are. And mm-hmm. I'm still learning every day. And, yeah. you know, I'm really passionate about transition and vocational stuff but I'm still learning Mm -hmm. and don't be afraid to say like I don't know that but I want to learn more about Mm -hmm. it so just you know take every opportunity for training and to learn and to get as many resources as you can because that just makes you more powerful yeah and I think that goes for parents yeah and teachers. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And I think just utilizing the resources around you, like you said, getting with teachers in other campuses or on other campuses to um, help you out. I know when I was working in Mesquite, we would form, we formed a little like PPCD group. Mm-hmm. We obviously didn't have several PPCD classes in, on one campus, but I reached out to the people at other campuses and I was like, hey, let's meet up, you know, mm-hmm. once a month and talk about how we can share resources and pieces of advice. And here are some struggles that we're experiencing. Mm-hmm. How can we, you know, problems solve and work our way through this so it is super helpful to have a community for both family and um, family members of an individual with autism and the teachers that are supporting them so yes. yeah that's great it's thank awesome. you so much Beth thank I really you. appreciate your time today it so thank super you. fun thank you no problem bye 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Odd to the Mower podcast where we view each and every individual as valuable and capable. I hope you enjoyed my episode with Beth and gained a lot from her perspective and hearing about her classroom. And I just want to ask that if you wouldn't mind taking a moment to share the podcast with other listeners, we want to get this podcast out there and have many people learning about autism and hearing about different perspectives of autism. And um, this is a great, great episode to share with other individuals in the community. So please take a minute to share it with others and to rate the podcast if you have time. You can find the um, information to rate it on iTunes. So thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful week.